Welcome. This is a Vascular Forum interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Vascular Forum interview. My name is Melina Vega de Ceniga. Today, we are going to learn about a fairly new but rapidly expanding technology, inner branches or inner BVAR, in the context or contrast with established FIVAR and BVAR. And to explain the ins and outs of it all, we have here today Dr. Sebastian de Glees, a vascular surgeon at the University Hospital of Lausanne in Switzerland and the newest member of the ESVS e-committee. Thank you for making the time to talk to us today. Hello, Melina. Hello, everybody. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. First, thanks for the kind invitation. I'm very honored to speak about this wonderful topic and also being the new member of the e-committee. So I'm really enthusiastic about this podcast. EVAR is nowadays a standard treatment option and first-line treatment in thoracoabdominal aneurysm repair in the form of fenestrated or branched endografts. The orthodox approach is a custom-made device tailored to the patient's anatomy and needs, but there are off-the-shelf possibilities and even physician-modified devices. As is well known, the early morbidity and mortality favors this low-invasive treatment. But the Achilles heel is long-term durability and frequent need for intervention, and that has been ascertained in a recent paper published in February this year in the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery. In order to analyze all the aspects of inner branches, this new advancement in the BIVA world, let's start at the beginning. What are inner branches and why and how were they first designed? Thank you, Melina, for this first question. I think that an easy definition of inner branches would be really the presence of branches inside the graft instead of outside the graft. However, it's really more than just this definition. It is a composite or a mix of fenestrations and classic side branches or outer branches. Indeed, the idea of creating inner branches was really to combine the main benefits of both platforms, FIVA and BIVA. It means, for example, for FIVA to have a minimal aortic coverage, but also the ability to work in narrow and small anatomy. For outer BIVA or side branches, it means an easier planning as for FIVA, you have more place to work with the branches, but also long-term durability with the bridging stand stability and probably better sealing than with fever. Therefore, the initial idea of inner branches was really to have access to the BVAR benefits where there would be space only for a fever approach. The first inner branches technology has been used in 2012 with the first device implanted. And really the goal of inner branches nowadays is to maximize the positive outcomes of both platforms by minimizing the risk of misplanning and mispositioning of the main body and working in almost all anatomies. Well, 10 years ago, I spent a few weeks in the Cleveland Clinic learning about complex aortic and devascular treatment. And I remember Dr. Greenberg showing me the planning of a case for which they had designed a custom-made, very special endograft with an inner bifurcation and an inner branch because the standard device would not fit the patient. He clearly warned me against constructing aortobiliac or bifem bypasses with a short body precisely in anticipation of the possible need for proximal endografting in the future. So that was very much the beginning. How have inner branch devices developed since the first design? Unfortunately, I had not the chance to meet Roy Greenberg personally, but and everybody will, will agree with this. He, he understood 
before anybody what will be the future of the endovascular treatment of aortic pathologies. And if we look over the last decade, generally every endovascular device experienced a huge technological uh, development and improvement, especially at the aortic level. This was also the case for the inner branch technology. There are really two recent improvements in the technological part of the device. The first one is a new design with a wider outlet. It means that you have more freedom to position the main body and more space to work at the outlet of the inner branch to cannulate the target vessel. Therefore, again, this is better and easier to do the planning and you have more chance to avoid any mispositioning or misplanning of the case. It also reduces the risk of kinking of the bridging stem at the outlet if the position is not perfect in front of the target vessel. Another thing is a new asymmetrical compression spring. It keeps the branches more open due to long spring peaks, but it also allows for a better support of the tunnel longitudinally. It means that it is supposed to avoid any collapse while the branch is engaged with a wire or with a catheter during the cannulation phase, but it also avoids a crush when navigating with a rigid sheet to advance the bridging step. So really, big improvements in the stability of the branch and also the durability. That's excellent. Actually, you have mentioned a few, but how can you specify the pros of inner branches compared to conventional BVAR or even FIVAR? The pros of inner branches are really a combines of advantages of both platform or both technologies. And this was really the goal of iBVAR again to combine these benefits. Therefore, if we can summarize a little bit the pros of iBVAR, this is really first the possibility or the ability to work in narrow but also kinked anatomy. In contrast to fever, for example, in kinked anatomy, it could be very difficult to open the fenestration really in front of the target vessel and to be sure where you will be uh, placed and cannulate the target vessel. The second advantage is really the ability to treat visceral vessels, especially when they have steep trajectory which is really unsuitable for fever with bad results and bad durability. Another advantage of IBVA is the possibility to repair failed previous complex cases. And by complex cases, I mean chiva, but also fever. This is really something that is technologically possible. It requires a lot of skills, but it can really add a lot of solution in very, very complex situations. And finally, as compared to fever, you can work with only one sheet from the controllateral side or from above. And the cons? I would say there are no cons, but unfortunately there are some disadvantages or drawbacks. If you compare to fever, it needs really to come from above to cannulate the integrate branches, especially at the beginning of the experience. Perhaps then you can work also from femoral, but really at the beginning, I recommend cannulating from proximal. So this is a big difference as compared to standard fever. It also requires to do and cannulate and stent one branch after the other, so probably it could take a little bit more time than a fever. Often it requires longer bridging stems as compared to, to fever, and it is also associated with a longer aortic coverage because there are not the possibility to really land at the level of the celiac trunk and do for example, uh, a scallop, or you can do a scallop combined with inner branches, but most of the time you do inner branches for the four target vessels, so you go 
a little bit more proximity. What is the narrowest aorta that can fit a fivar, a bivar, and an inner bivar? As you say, this is one of the main advantages of I-bivar. Yes, exactly. I would say that it depends a little bit about the material and the company, but the narrowest diameter for fivar is 18 millimeters. For I-bivar, it's almost the same. Normally, you can treat up to 20 millimeters the narrowest diameter. And for bivar, for outer bivar, the narrowest diameter is 26 millimeters. In what percentage of your current cases do you see the need for inner branches? And in what percentage do you use fivar and conventional bivar? Globally, I have to say that we use more and more inner branches. And if we speak about all the complex aortic disease that we have to treat, I would say that nowadays IBVAR represents around yes, 60 or even sometimes 70% of the cases. But if we do a, a distinction between juxtarenal and thoracoabdominal, because this is not really the same pathology to treat, I would say that for juxtarenal, fever remains the main option, especially if it's a straightforward cases, no kinked anatomy, no deep trajectory of the target vessel. In this case, I will recommend a fever for the advantages of working from the contralateral side, shorter bridging stem. I think that in the case of juxtarenal, fever represents around 60-65% of the cases and IBVAR around 30 to 40 percent. I mean for endovascular cases because there is still a place for open surgery for sure. If we speak about thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysm, IBVAR has really become the graft of choice in the majority of situations and is used in almost 70 to 80 percent of cases. Must each inner branch endograph be custom made? And if so, how long does it take to have the device ready for a given patient? Or are there off-the-shelf grafts available? It really depends on the anatomy. When a custom-made graft is required because the anatomy is complex, you have to use the extra design engineering and it normally takes 18 open days from the signature of the technical draw that you get up to the delivery of the device in your center. But you have to take in consideration that first you have to discuss the case, send the pictures to the company, and then you will get a proposal. Again, you discuss some technical points if you do not totally agree with the proposition. And when everybody is okay, then you will get the technical draw. And as soon as it is signed, it will start with the manufacturer, and then it is 18 days. So, so, so on the whole, that takes about a month? I would say globally, it takes one month and you can reduce the time if you do the planning by yourself. And how do these times compare with conventional FIVAR and BIVAR? So this is really for extra design engineering, and there is no difference if it's a FIVAR, if it's a BIVAR, or if it's a IBVAR. It is really a decision of what kind of device you will use, what kind of specification you will have, because you can also add other modifications, such as an integrated bifurcation or you can have retrograde or integrate branches. So really you can combine everything and then it's 18 days and independently from the final design. But since 2020, so last year, there is a new device on the market and this is an off-the-shelf stand graph which has four integrate inner branches which are already pre-cannulated and this is really a main uh, advantage and a big improvement in the technology and in the treatment for complex aortic pathology 
because you can also treat this patient in emergency. And this is really easier to work with the precannulation and you have many, many options to treat many, many patients. Okay, let's move on to some technical details of the procedure. Most inner branches have a downward direction, although occasionally they can be designed upward if the target vessel anatomy has a peculiar angle. So you did recommend cannulating the inner branches from an upper limb axis. I'm not sure whether you mean routinely or just when you're starting this technology. We have recently published in the Vascular Forum a technical note talking about the directable sheaths that you can actually home make and you can cannulate from femoral axis, maybe difficult trajectory visceral vessels. But would you recommend actually going from above or just choosing the option depending on the angle? What's your take? Yeah, thank you again for this excellent question. We already spoke a little bit about this, uh, this very important point. I remain a great fan of the proximal cannulation or proximal access. I would say that at the beginning of the experience, it's difficult to have everything in mind about the graft, about how it's open, where you have to place it, where are exactly the branches. So it's probably easier to come from above. And really, it helps in, in many, many situations. Uh, normally, I use the left axillary axis because it is a vessel with normally a good diameter to have uh, one sheet in. But I agree with you that femoral axis is also a good thing to know. It probably requires more skill and more experience, but it can help in some situation where it's almost impossible to come from above. So it's also something you have to, to know and to develop. There are different strategies, different techniques to do this. You can use steerable sheets, you can use, let's say, homemade steerable or bandit sheets, and it depends on your preference. When you use the contralateral femoral axis, you have to be aware of the risk of either crushing some branches or also pushing downwards all the grafts. So it really needs more experience to do this, but it is a very helpful option. Yeah, that was actually my next question. How difficult are the inner branches to cannulate and what is the risk of them collapsing during the deployment of the main graft body or the manipulation while trying to cannulate one or another branch? I consider that it is not more difficult to cannulate inner branches than fenestration or outer branches. The inner branches are really fixed to the fabric of the stem graft and very stable. So it's easy to cannulate and it's also easy to visualize them because there are some markers at the inlet and at the outlet of the branch. At the inlet, there is one ring marker and at the outlet, there are three dot markers. These three dot markers provide a 3D orientation of the outlet of the channel and it is very useful to identify the overall position of the four branches and to correctly position the stem graft during the intervention. In order to stabilize the branch and avoid any collapse during the maneuver of graft deployment, but also branch cannulation, the inner branch carries some technological improvements. There are longer fixation seam at the branch tip, but also this asymmetrical compression spring, which is really helpful to stabilize the branch. Moreover, the branch inlet is soon onto the fabric with five stitches. So really the branch is very stable and it stays open during the cannulation and there is almost no risk of collapse. Are the inner branches easy to recannulate in redo procedures? Yes, it is. There is actually no additional difficulty to recannulate them than during the initial procedure. 
However, there is an important point to respect. During the initial procedure, you really have to deploy your bridging stent only in the branch, but not more proximal because then the recanalization could be very difficult. So if you respect this point, normally there is no more difficulty to do again a cannulation of this branch. As experienced endosurgeon, are there any other specific tips you would like to share with our listeners starting or interested in this technology? I would say that the first tip or the first advice is really to try because there are some fears or some questions about the real potential of inner branches or if it is associated with more complication or more difficulty. And in my opinion, it is not. So really, the first thing is let's try. Regarding the procedure itself, I would really recommend cannulating the branches from above, especially again at the beginning of the experience. I normally use the steerable sheets of seven or eight French, and it is really sufficient and it can help you a lot, especially in kinked or tortuous anatomy with these steerable sheets. When it is too much tortuous and it's really difficult and unstable, then you can use another sheet. Normally I use a 12 French sheet with a through and through wire, and then you have more stability and you can work with the seven or eight French sheet inside the 12 French sheet and it is easier to cannulate the branches. What is your follow-up protocol when you use inner branches? Any differences from other cases with other kinds of devices? Thank you for this very important question about the follow-up because it is something that is mandatory when you treat complex aortic disease. Our protocol is exactly the same for all the complex aortic procedure being fever, being inner branches, being side branches, or even chiva. First, let's speak about medication. We use DAPT, so normally aspirin and clopidogrel for one year, unless there is any contraindication, or if there is any indication to add oral anticoagulation. In this last case, we use clopidogrel with the oral anticoagulation for one year, and then switch to aspirin. Regarding the imaging follow-up, we generally do a first CT scan with some contrast during the hospitalization to be sure that there is no big complication, and then at 6 and 12 months, and then yearly. What is the longest follow-up available or reported so far with this new technology? The first inner branch device has been implanted in 2012, but I do not know exactly what are the results of this device. In my center, the first IBVAR has been done in 2015, so it means a follow-up of six years with good result. There are some crevices or spaces between the inner branches and the endograft wall. Have you seen any thrombus deposition in those spaces, some remodeling of the lumen to accommodate these crevices in these follow-up scans? And could this be a concern? Actually, I never experienced any remodeling or thrombus deposition in this graft. We have to know that the space remains very small as the graft diameter is generally reduced at the level of the branches. So this is really a small space and probably if there is some thrombus, we cannot see him. Moreover, the inner branch design and technology with the dedicated seam, as already said, and the spring provide stability to the inner branch. And this stability is beneficial not only during the procedure and the cannulation, but also for the long-term durability of the system. So for me, there is not really a concern about this potential problem with thrombus deposition. So the strong suit and the specific current indications for this technology would be very large or very narrow thoracoabdominal aortic segments, kinked aortic anatomy, steep trajectories to target visceral vessels, 
failed previous EVAR or FIVAR or BVAR and thoracoabdominal dissection with small true lumen. How have you seen these devices evolve in kinked and tortuous anatomies in the short and midterm follow-up? This is, again, uh, an excellent question. And I think that really the main advantage of inner branches is the easiest planning and the option to work in difficult anatomy as compared to FIVA, but also to BIVA. I never experienced any kinked or crushed stent graft, even in complex anatomy, in tortuous or kinked anatomy. For sure, you have to be aware of the risk of small modification of the final position and to have enough sealing in the proximal and distal parts. If necessary, you have to go a little bit higher than expected if there is a big angulation or a big tortuosity to ensure a good stability. But I never experienced crushed or regrated stent graft. However, and probably this is the same for every complex aortic procedure, a strict follow-up program is mandatory because some stenosis or endolics can appear at almost every point of the device being in the bridging stent or proximal or distal part. These technologies are associated with a higher risk of reintervention than EVA and therefore we really have to follow the patient but we have also to say that the majority of these reinterventions can be done endovascularly. Well, I have certainly learned a lot. Any final comments or take-home messages you would like to share with our listeners? I think that the inner branch technology is really an improvement in the management of complex aortic disease. It brings solutions where FIVA or BIVA would probably fail. Moreover, it was also the basis for the development of the new off-the-shelf device, which is really a fantastic device also to use in emergency situations. And finally, I would say IBVAR to try is to adopt it. Well, thank you so much for all this information, for sharing your experience with us and for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you in this podcast. Thank you, Melina. Thank you, everybody, for your attention and bye-bye. I hope everyone out there listening has enjoyed this interview as much as I have. More Vascular Forum interviews and other podcasts are available open access in SoundCloud, Spotify, the Vascular Forum webpage, and the ESVS e-library. And we are planning new material for the upcoming weeks, so keep tuned. Until then, have a great week. Bye for now. Bye-bye.